Hard treatment. Oh, jeez. Hard treatment. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Hard treatment. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Hard treatment. Oh, jeez. Poetry night rings through. Oh, it's Robert time. I was going to make jokes, Robert, about because Robert and I have this running gag where it's like, man, no one can tell us apart because we're so pretty. Like we have this. And I was going to come up and do that, and then I realized that that isn't—that's funny. But I do that all the time, and I—I I, should—I should take a moment uh, and talk about uh, Robert, uh, not the incredibly handsome man that he is, but uh, another thing about Robert. I, I've met Robert three times. Let's say that. I remember the first time I met him was a—it was a coffee shop a couple blocks away from here. Uh, this this young man walked up to me and said, "I'd like to read tonight." My name is Robert, and I remember thinking, finally, someone else around my age who goes by Robert. I felt so alone until I met you, Robert. <laughs> the second time I met him was, I don't know, I don't know, maybe half an hour, maybe an hour later. I put him in the second set because I always put the new faces in the second set because that way they won't leave um, <laughs> with, their, with all their friends, you know, like, oh, okay, peace. Thanks for reading your poem right away. Uh, and so this young man who I had just met got up on stage and then he performed his poetry like like he, he you you had it in you there wasn't like it wasn't he wasn't reading it was in him coming out uh and the third time I got to meet Robert it was he wasn't even there I was at uh <laughs> set a coffee shop in town and uh, a friend of mine Melissa Queen and I had started a publishing company and we were publishing books and we had done a few projects uh, for Jessica Lohafer, for for uh, for Saul, and for some other people. Just small artisan little chat books. And we wanted to do something a little bigger. Um, and we approached Robert, or Robert approached. It doesn't really matter. And I'm sitting there in this coffee shop, and then I'm looking, I'm reading, and rereading, and rereading over the like for like five hours. I'm in this coffee shop, like going through the book and editing. And that was the first time I had really sat down and, and really put myself into those poems and realized, I mean, I had known they were good, but I, I hadn't realized that there was so much form and grace on the page. I had thought it was just something that he carried within himself, but I realized that he had been sharing it with us. Like, it was right there. Like, it was like rhyme and meter that I didn't even hear when he was up here. It was because it was just... You know, a lot of people write poems and you hear the rhyme. You hear it, and that's okay. Um, but if you do that enough, if you write like that enough, if you write in meter enough, if you write in form enough, the form uh, which at one point was a, sh was a cage that held you in, it becomes something totally different, um, and you, you rise above that form. And I had never even noticed uh, because of Robert's accomplishment. And uh, I, I was astounded, I called people. Holy shit! There's stanzas in this shit, and uh, I just I just love that. So, ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome to our stage Robert Lashley? This 
wow. <laughs> um, I got an idea. We'll start this meeting me the fourth time. I, when I first started at Poetry Night, I didn't write poems about, you know, being bust and then living in the suburbs. I alluded to it, but I didn't, uh, um, I didn't focus on it, like, because I was a busing kid, because I was pretty angry. I was, uh, um, Floyd Brown, the person who co-wrote the Willie Horton ad, um, who got kicked out of the Republican Party, um, who was called the Cancer by Karl Rove, is the head of the city council in University Place. So 20 years ago, I mean now, so 20 years ago, imagine it for a very bright, very intelligent, mixed kid who were coming from the projects. So it took, took some, I took some ass whoopings, literally metaphorical. And, but I decided to kind of like write about it and get healthy. And just, it, it, it came out different though. It came out the way it had to come out. So something that, that just, that just kind of like in me that I like and I want it, I hope it's, I hope that spirit stays. Um, this poem, from my book, The Blood Orange Mixtape, is called Self-Portrait of Homeboy in the Suburbs, Three Hours After His Boys Beat the Crap Out of Him. On your great getting up morning, they fared you ill. Their hands inside your tears mark time and memory. Your half-seen eye of price for getting over to a new Jerusalem of dueling corner strip malls. Getting up morning, promised land, gazed darkly through a Chrysler, was a blur. The window melted scenes to shapes and molds. Tents of place in dreams your teachers told you, taunt you past the slits that were your eyes. In your great getting up morning, goodbyes beat on you. The price of your ticket in bruises, blood, and sweat. Half eyes are full of water in regret. On that morning, forget, 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 forget. Thank you very much. This poem, I like to credit my sources. It's, it's after I'm... Um, Frank O'Hara's having a Coke with you. It's called Rolling Old Testament Papers with Her. <laughs> was so much better than going to Samaria, Judea, Gideon, Babel, Myrta, or putting the blood with her at the Kmart altar, partly because I loved her, partly because she had the sickle cell, partly because the deacon read black tail in the back pew and was far less cleaner than she. The secrecy of our smiles took off before the sanctuary of dietary laws as we rolled up Ezekiel and his obsession with her and animal junk. I looked at her and would have rather looked at her than all the books of Moses. Their portraits seemed to have no face as radiant as she and I there blazed in the grass. Thank you.
This poem is called My Aunt's Backyard After One of Pop's Beatdowns. Through a slit, there is an acorn. After that, a cherry blossom. After that, definitions of wood and a blackberry bush take shape from blotches of green. As pupils lift, the sum becomes less foreboding. Quick movements and flashes lose all sense of their danger. The silence of the glass takes a comforting shape on the face and on the backside. The scenery, large and over one's head, doesn't swarm or overwhelm. Thank you. This poem is called Chunky Brother Love Poem. For you, I'll be an unwashed pair. I'll place on my mask synthetic and temporary and offer any or all for want or comfort desirable and clean. I'll spread my sections below and beneath you. Lay barren or as an array of walls and canvases. Lay in the seconds and minutes you want as a space for your imagination. Spend me, spend me. My globes are yours. My circumference is a land that centers on your presence. It seasons around your moods and your movement in the times you feel a need. Thank you. When you're nine years old, um, you want to be many things. And you want to, some people want to be um, baseball or go in the military. I wanted to be Whitney Houston's husband. Yeah. Yeah. This poem, after Auden's in the memory of W.B. Yeats, is called Funeral Blues for Whitney. One. On the day you found what we were missing, we always on the wrong young boy stopped dead in front of a boombox. And we who thought girls were weird and gross heard sound as ascension from the radio. A tone, clarity, an electrifying yearning, an exhortation in linear sonic waves to something greater than us. Places and moments that could blur away time and women who could conjure spirits no conjured God could know. And all at once we smiled every time we heard you, called ourselves to be better than we were, and dreamed to be, dreamed to be something grand, if not grandiose, and only to win your heart. To all at once unsheath the sword from our concrete Merlin stones and lives as conquerors, triumphant, happily in your kingdom, but the magic dust ate you alive. Two, Earth received a troubled guest. Whitney Houston is laid to rest. Let this Newark vessel lie emptied of our dreams. For in the nightmare of the dark, all the mask we had of your majesty ate our faces. 
All our refusals to look into your blackness have blinded and scarred our eyes. Now you hang in the memory over us. A lady of chemical and two human sorrows, trapped eternally in a crystal cage, only free in the shadow of Sirius. An intermittent, fleeting notes and electrons of youth, love, and limitless potential before yours turn slowly to a curse. Thank you. This poem is called, When She Laughed, Our Sound Was Hers Indirectly. When she laughed, our sound was hers indirectly. Patterns and cadences formed their own imprint that congealed to a need when she was away. It surrounded her Stacey Adams jacket, a cocoon over hot tracks and polyester. When she laughed, definitions of humor and gaiety filed and dissolved around her. He submitted his eye to snorts and undulations, chortled as I chortled to the absurdity of sense made light by the tips of her press-on tickle fights. When she laughed, Lord, nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered but her shoulder beside me. The transfer of brevity in the mixture of hands that swift but wide the anxieties of my soul. Thank you. Um, I like fried foods. I like folklore. I like Wallace Stevens. And this poem is called, um, it's after, I take a line after, after Wallace Stevens. It's called, Hambone at the Barbecue Smoker. The smoker at the head of the line conducts and paints an imaginative sky of spices, salts, and pork fat. Hambone, Hambone, where you been? Constellations of the side fryer appear then disappear and appear again as the winds benign raises straighten the city block that waits for them. Hambone, Hambone, where you been? The smoker man in dinner shift has a smell beyond the genius of the nose. A common touch with uncommon sense to cut through the pretense of winter. A talking drum major whose seal of high heat flips, pats, and turns once over a corner's nighttime needs. Hambone, Hambone, where you been? All around the world and back again. Hambone, Hambone, what you do? I cooked you a sandwich. Eat some food. Thank you very much. I'm going to read a poem, and I'm going to riff a little bit. This poem is called, Why Uncle Milton Went Off on the Porter. The rails upon his back are burned now. Variations of wool upon steel upon wool lie beneath his movements to the tray. Fix your uniform, boy. Don't slouch when you move. I'm too goddamn old to be telling you this. And yet the idea of its order still compels and moves his hands and wrists. 
The delicate ragged structures of his fingers that give lecture from chicken plate to plate. At time without sight, the shifts in the rhythms of the host table, fruit bowl, and, st- and salad tray. Stand up, but move slow, boy. Give them smooth, smooth movements. Give them nothing but the food. Nothing but the food. Give them nothing but your smile. And though his back will hurt in minutes, the sight of it, open, and his processions of recall, stirs in form and fluidity. It rises and lowers the arch of his back as he finishes with the port and the porter. As he measures in a dish, a pot and an order, rails that are always his. Thank you. I want to say while um, Robert's passing uh, the the money, stacking the paper, paper, (laughs) that um, a couple weeks ago was the 10th anniversary of my Uncle Mo's passing. Um, And it really got me to, to look at my uncles and what they meant for me when I was a kid. My uncle was born in 1920 in a place called Valley Park, Mississippi. It's, it's, it's now a, a sub-Indian Indianola in, in that area, but, was, but when he was born there, it was called Valley Park. He was best friends with my grandfather since they were three. Um, his family worked in my grandfather's farm, in my, grandfather's, my great-grandfather's farm. And... Um, he was the first poet in our family, and he was the first close reader I ever had in our family. And um, when I was born, when I grew up, my, grandfa- my grandmother kind of took me in when I was nine. I, I had this, I had, I came there um, with a school ED record, nine years old, 1987. And it's kind of vulgar, it's the, 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 the the, the, the line is just, I was nine, please forgive me for, for doing it. It was to, for, for saying that the, 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 the title of the record was, was, Don't Fuck with a Bitch in the Projects. And my grandmother, she took me, she snatched me, and she took me downstairs. She walked down, upstairs, down those stairs, and she said, Boy, I am going to give you an education. <laughs> August 1987. Three, she put on three records. The first record she put on was What's Going On. The second record she put on was Inner Visions. The third record, which had just came out, was Silent Times. And she loved that little, that little light-skinned man. And, and I remember playing the sunshine. And we were dancing. We were just, and just dancing around. And just something, and I was nine years old, and something just clicked. And from like... Nine until I was about 13, I had, I went to the university of my uncles and my uncles and my grandmother and my aunts when my dad would drop me off to kind of do very, very, very dark things. They gave me a kind of an education. And um, when, um, when it got too dark and my uncles couldn't do anything about it and just when just a wave of just really horrible stuff happened, they, 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 fall, they, they, um, they, they fell back. 
and I was talking to my grandfather about this, that um, my uncle swore that during the kind of times when my father just got really, really, really horrible, and they could not do anything about it. And he was telling me the guilt that they felt, that they couldn't, they couldn't do, they couldn't take me out of there, they couldn't, like, do anything, but they also couldn't shoot my dad. And, um, and uh, I, I look back at because I've really gotten my life together the past six weeks and just seeing things with a clear head. It's like, yeah, I've had some things where, you know, really hard, but I also had a lot. I've talked to you all about mods. I talked to you about a lot of them. I had my uncles as well. And I had them, um, and it's just, wherever they are, I just hope that um, they... They realized that, hey, turned out all right, you know? Two more poems. Um, uh, um, This poem is called Before and After We Smoked Out the Youth Cabin. (laughs) One, before. At night, her lips taste of blood and razzles. Her hands that served a surrogate for breath circle between the bed and the bowl. Seeds, sticks, stems of fathers, Sallow burns alongs with the terror of touch as smoke alarm double A's lost sound and meaning in abandoned Jesus conference rooms. Doom was not being caught but being away from her. Naked and clothed to the world outside a nightmare of the body. In the smoke, there was a city in section uniquely all our own. Two, after, and at an edge, she kicked and kicked and kicked again till portlessness took dark meaning. A dare with the flicker of her ruby-red toenail at the stage to take her aside. Danger loses all its mystique now. The allure of wildness in disoriented states state nothing at a transportable ledge. Debauchery led to a watery edge. A high turned disastrous and low. Love, oh love, come sit here beside me. I want sense in the sense of you and nothing more. Oh, love, tonight there's a tremulous tide. Oh, love, come back to the shore. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you have liked what you have heard today, there is a book. All the, as you know, all the money from the book will go to Planned Parenthood. All the money from all the wonderful literature you will, that you will, you, um, you will buy will go to Planned Parenthood. If you got it, the, plan, p- 
Planned Parenthood is a great organization. Poetry Night is a great organization. There are, there are books that you can buy if you got, if you got Christmas presents, if you got Thanksgiving presents, if you got graduation <laughs> presents, buy it. It's great. It's a good thing. Put it in a card. Ladies and gentlemen, my last poem of this evening is called Church Camp. One. Before we got kicked out. (laughs) The only thing we did was touch, Lord. The roaches were gone. Our stolen boombox was out of power. And the menagerie of boast in cherry red ripple gave way to the crickets and grass. We cuddled. Pinky swore, coordinated stories of David and Biggie, Bathsheba and Tupac, the serpent and the gold chain gangster's feet of bronze, sex, and wantonness, yet everything I wanted was there. The red rightness of curls, the smell of her air, the warmth of her inner thigh that made me take off my ice and Sonics jersey. Two, after... And though days and days I dreamt about her, every ending I had was snatched to the real. Every altered shape, intensified color, writ clean by the finality of elders, writ clean in our nakedness by the group of our brothers rejoicing in our shame, sin, and loss. And when awoke, I woke that somber, senseless, try to try and find her. Yet the grass stayed straight. The evergreens wouldn't bend. Every streak and glimpse of red would mirror her and evaporate away to the gray of the concrete. The sound and the actual of mourning, but nothing but her there seemed real. Ain't it something? A Robert Lashley feature? End with whispering. Ain't that some shit? You've been lovely. That's Robert Lashley. Look at him. With that, we're going to take a break. Chirp, 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 chirp. Carry on. Do I have time for one more poem? 